we've been going through First and Second Thessalonians. We've got just a couple of passages left that we're going to look at. And so we're nearing the end of this sermon series. But today we're in chapter 3. Um, while you're turning there, let me just make one quick announcement. BBS is coming up in just a few weeks. And we uh, have lots of things that we need. And so if you're interested in purchasing some supplies, the orange VBS table out in the fellowship area has some slips that you can pick up of things to purchase or even some things that we need to borrow and then can return to you. So if you're willing to help, we'd love to have your support. So please stop by that table. All right, with that, let's look at 2 Thessalonians 3 together. It says, in addition, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and guard you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will continue to do what we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to God's love and Christ's Would you pray with me this morning as we look to God's word? Father, we thank you that you are the greatest father. Thank you for your love and your commitment to us and to our welfare. Thank you that you have made the greatest provision for our salvation. Your son, Jesus Christ, in our place on the cross so that we might be with you. Now, as we come to your word today, Father, would you speak to us? Would you give us open ears and open hearts to receive your word today? Would you make clear what what our response needs to be this week as we look at your word together in Jesus' name? Amen. Amen. Well, these two letters that we've been studying for the past couple of months together are Paul's correspondence with a church in a city called Thessalonica. And we've talked much about that. I don't want to repeat all of that. But what we've found is that the Thessalonians uh, were, one, enduring great persecution for their faith, and two, they were living in an environment where just about everything except for the gospel is celebrated. And so you could live any kind of lifestyle, you could embrace any kind of ideas about truth except for the message about Jesus, and you would be accepted and perhaps even celebrated. And we see in that some similarities to our world today. We also live in a world where the gospel is not tolerated in the name of tolerance. And so we want to draw from this, uh, this inspired word, as much help as we can for our current situation. And so today I want to give us just three things to think about from this text. If you have that little handout that we gave you on the way in, go ahead and get that out. Let's begin taking some notes and filling in some blanks together. The first thing you'll see on there, we are instructed to pray for faithful leaders and fruitful ministry. We're called to pray for faithful leaders and fruitful ministry ministry. In addition, Paul says in in verse 1, sorry if I went too quickly, pray for faithful workers and fruitful ministry. I don't want to take that off the screen before you've had a chance to write it down. In verse 1, Paul said, in addition, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly 
and be honored just as it was with you that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people for not all have faith. He's asking for the Thessalonians to pray for them. And when he, when he says pray for us, he's referring to his partners in ministry. And we've seen some of them come up throughout the letter, uh, through these two letters as we've looked at these together. And his request is that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly. Think about the uniqueness of the time that, that Paul lived and ministered in. The gospel, the gospel had come through Jesus somewhere around 30 to 33 AD was, was somewhere in that range, not exactly those dates. Most, most scholars would say that we, we actually missed the mark when we set zero, year zero, uh, by a couple of years, but that's okay. Somewhere in that vicinity, so in other words, almost 2,000 years ago, the gospel had come through Jesus Christ. He came and he lived and he ministered. And he commissioned apostles. He commissioned men and women to go and to share the gospel. He chose, he chose 12 men. Of course, we know Judas betrayed him and was replaced in the book of Acts. He chooses these 12 men to go. And then he, he also recruits Paul. He sends them out with the gospel. And what we see is the gospel is spreading rapidly. And a good thing, because there were a lot of people alive who had not heard the gospel and they needed to hear it. But we have the same need today. We need the word of God to spread rapidly. The word, the, the word of God which gives life, which points us to the truth about creation and points us to the truth about our lives is being neglected more and more in, in our society. We need the word of God to spread rapidly. 178,000 people die every day. 178,000 people die every day many of whom do not have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. We talk often about the 150,000 people within a 20-minute drive of where we're at right now. That's, that's our Jerusalem. That's, that is the, the audience, the target that God has given us as a church to, to reach with the gospel. 150,000 people. And yet time is so short. We need the word to spread rapidly. We can't, we can't afford to, to have the word spread slowly. Time is of the essence. People are in need of the gospel. People need the hope that Jesus brings. People need to know the way of salvation. And so it was in Paul's time and in Paul's ministry he said, pray for us that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored. Not just that they would hear the word, but that they would respond appropriately to the word. He says, just as it was with you. What happened was, as Paul is going from city to city, he's preaching the gospel. And in some cities, people are very friendly to him. Not many cities, but occasionally people receive him. Most of the time he's persecuted most of the time, he's driven out through violence. But in every city that he goes to, people hear the word of God and they respond to it. 
he describes that here as honoring the word, accepting it as true, believing in the gospel, placing faith in Christ. Pray that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored. Do you pray for that? Do you pray for the gospel to spread, for more and more people to hear the gospel and to respond to it with faith and to receive salvation? It's one of the things that we're commanded in Scripture to pray for. And so I want to remind us to pray for this. This is what I'm I'm labeling here fruitful ministry. We are to pray that God's word would go forth. I want to encourage you to pray at least once a week. Set a reminder somewhere to pray at least once a week for the 150,000 people within 20 minutes of Redemption Church. Would you do that? Would you join me in praying weekly that the word of God would go and that they would hear? Many of you are here because the word of God has reached you. The word of God has come to you. The gospel has come into your life in some way, shape, or form. And you have responded and you've received salvation. But what about the other 150,000? Now, fortunately, Redemption Church is not alone. There are many other gospel-believing and gospel-preaching churches amongst those 150,000, but there's not enough. There's not enough. We've got a lot of work to do. We need the word of God to spread rapidly and be honored. Paul asked for prayer for, for he and his workers. In addition, brothers and sisters, pray for us. I'm gonna skip to verse two that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people, for not all have faith. You see the contrast between the two responses to the gospel? You have those who honor the word of God. Those are the ones who respond by belief and faith and trust in the gospel. And then you have, you have people who do not have faith, and they resist the gospel, and they persecute those who deliver the gospel And they make it difficult for the gospel to spread rapidly and be honored. And we have those too. There are people amongst our 150,000, there are many who don't honor the gospel, do not want the gospel to spread, do not want the gospel to be heard, do not want people to respond with faith to the invitation of Jesus. How do we combat that? How do we overcome that? Through prayer, through prayer. It's not our job to to engage as the world engages. It's not our job to fight fire with fire. It's our job to fight with the gospel and with prayer. We respond even praying that those who oppose us would come to believe in Jesus. That's one of the unique things about the church is that we don't hate our enemies, we love them, and we want them to be saved. At least that's how it's supposed to be. Pray for your leaders. Pray for faithful workers of the gospel. Pray that they might be protected and delivered from those who oppose them, who want to hinder the spread of the gospel by opposing its messengers. Pray for protection. And I say that as one of your pastors. We need your prayers. We need you to lift us up in prayer regularly. It's a battle. 
It's, it's a battle to take up a position of leadership in the ministry of the gospel, and not just pastoral ministry, but we have many leaders in this church, and, and the kingdom of Christ around us has many leaders in, in other places. Pray for them. Pray that God would deliver them from wicked and evil people. Pray that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly. And pray for more faithful workers. I think I love what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 9. In verse 35, it says, Jesus continued going around to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. What is Jesus' response to this? He sees the crowds of people. He sees that they are distressed and dejected. They're like sheep without a shepherd. What happens to sheep without a shepherd? They die. They don't do well. It's not good. Sheep need a shepherd. What happens to people without the gospel? What happens to people without faithful leaders? They don't do well. They don't survive. They don't make it, however you want to think of it. What is Jesus' response to this situation? It says in verse 37, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Don't you love that picture? Picture, uh, picture fields just full of ripe and ready harvest, whatever, whatever it is that you want to pick. Maybe, maybe a, a good example is, well, I'll just let you picture whatever you want to picture. So you've got fields that are just ready to be harvested, but you don't have enough workers. And it goes unharvested. And in this case, we're talking about the gospel. If we don't, if God doesn't send out more workers, then the harvest cannot be harvested. And we're talking about people. If we don't send out more workers, then that means people aren't hearing the gospel and people aren't being led by faithful workers. People who are laboring among them to serve them the word of Christ. Need more workers. One of our core values from the very beginning has been multiplication. And what we mean by multiplication is that we want to raise up workers. We, we want to raise up workers and, when necessary, send them out. We're, we're not trying to, to keep people from leaving redemption. We want to equip and to send out because the harvest is abundant and the workers are few. We want to plant churches. We want to send missionaries. We want to raise up pastors and leaders for the church. It's a, such a crucial component of what we do as a church. I remember Greg one time saying, we want to be a teaching hospital. You know what, you know what, it's, what a teaching hospital is? It's, it's a hospital that invites people in who are going into the field of medicine and 
gives them a place to learn and to, to become equipped and eventually oftentimes sends them out to, to other patients, to other people who need their services. That's what we want to do as a church, and that's why so often you'll see somebody other than me in the pulpit because we want to equip, we want to raise up, we want to train leaders, we want people to grow in the ministry of the gospel. Not just pulpit ministry, but in, in all of our ministries. That, that, I mean, that includes everything, including our hospitality and our safety team and our kids' ministry team, the worship team. You know, this is, this is the model that we want to follow. Raise people up, train people up. But you got to be willing. You got to be willing, one, to invest the time to be a worker. You got to be willing sometimes to let go of people that you love dearly, that you consider very good friends, so that they can do what, go and do what God has called them to do. It's hard work, but it's necessary. And it begins with prayer. Pray for faithful workers and fruitful ministry. Join me in praying at least once a week for the 150,000 people that God has placed us among, that we would have enough faithful workers and that we would see fruitful ministry, that the Lord might be glorified in this. So the first thing, pray for faithful workers and fruitful ministry. The second thing from this passage, Paul commands the Thessalonians and us by extension to be strengthened in the Lord in order to obey his instructions. Be strengthened in the Lord in order to obey his instructions. I've been drinking so much water since we got home from camp. We were, um, you know, there's a massive heat wave, obviously, that hit here. and hit, We were down in, in southern Ohio, just on the border of Kentucky, and it was just ridiculously hot in the place we were staying it seems like every year the air conditioning is broken there. And so we were, even when we were inside, it was like 90 degrees. And it just just sucked all the moisture out of us. And so I'm just trying to constantly, over the past 48 hours, rehydrate. So if you see me drinking a lot of extra water today, that's why. Be strengthened in the Lord in order to obey his instructions. Verse 3 says, but the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and guard you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will continue to do what we command. I love that Paul shifts so quickly from the, this seemingly dire situation. You got, you got people trying to preach the gospel, to spread the word of God. And he says, there's wicked and evil, unbelieving people opposing us. And that's, that was familiar, very familiar to the Thessalonians. They witnessed what happened to Paul when he preached the gospel, and now they were living in the same environment where persecution was common. But he reminds them the Lord is faithful. When you face opposition for the sake of the gospel, you need to remember the faithfulness of the Lord. He is faithful. He is good. He will strengthen you, Paul says, and guard you from the evil one. We are in a battle that we cannot lose because the Lord fights on our behalf. He is the one who ensures our victory. Darkness will not overcome the light. So be strengthened in the Lord. Be strengthened by this. He will strengthen you and guard you. 
He will strengthen you and guard you. He will strengthen you and guard you. Remember that this week. Remember that. God is on our side. He is present to strengthen us. He is, he is in the midst of the battles guarding us. You know, like, it doesn't feel like I'm being strengthened. It doesn't feel like I'm being guarded. Have faith. He is there. He is fighting the battle. That's why we have confidence, Paul says, that you are doing and will continue to do what we command. Be strengthened in order to obey. Remember the Lord's faithfulness. Remember that he is faithful to to strengthen us and to guard us in order to obey. Somehow, our response to the gospel amongst the American church has has been boiled, uh, whittled down to and reduced down to that we just need to believe. That it's enough if we keep believing throughout our lifetime. And yet, so much we see in the New Testament isn't just about belief, it's about obedience. It's about actually doing something with your faith. It's, it's about actually obeying the commands, the instructions that we have been given. Believe and be strengthened by your faith in order to obey. Believe so that you can do. That's what Paul is calling us to. He says he has confidence that you are doing and will continue to do what we command. If Paul was writing this letter to you, if he put your name and your address on the envelope, would he be able to say, I'm confident that you are doing and will continue to do what we have commanded? That's an important question to to answer. It's not enough that you come to church. I'm glad that you do. This is is the highlight of my week. I, I love that we come together and that we worship, that we lift our voices together. I love that we get into the Word together. But when you leave here, do you obey? Do you actually do it? Do you actually live it out? I'm so grateful that so many of you do. It's amazing to be in a church where people sincerely want to obey the Lord. I mean, we watched that video, and we sent six or seven people from our church who took their vacation time, raised their own funds, spent money out of their own pocket in the midst of difficult economic times. They went to sweat and to work and to love and to be uncomfortable in order to serve the Lord. They went to obey. That's amazing. It's so fun to watch. It's so encouraging to see. But you don't have to go. And and, and those of you that went on that trip, I hope that's not the only time you're serving the Lord. But those of us who didn't go on that trip, we don't have to go. I mean, we do have to go. We should should go. Not going to allow us to be comfortable and think we don't have any responsibility outside of here. But when we're not going, when we're not outside of where we live, we still obey. We still have work to do. 
Jesus gave this commission. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I commanded you. My hope for Redemption Church is not only that we will be disciples. What I mean by that is that we will be fully devoted followers of Christ. That's what a disciple is. Somebody who's committed to following him in every area of their lives for all of their life. Not only that we would be disciples, but that every disciple would be making disciples. You know, like, what? I'm not a preacher. I'm not talking about preaching. There's very little to do with making disciples. I'm not a small group leader. You don't have to be a small group leader. I can't sing. What does that got to do with it? We're talking about making disciples. So often we think that if you don't have one of these visible gifts that we see used in the church, you know, the people that are up front, if you, we, we think, well, that's not me, uh, and, and so I'm just here to encourage and to cheer on. And to. Unfortunately, so many of us think we're here to be spectators, but we're not. We're disciple makers. That's what he calls us to. Making disciples is simply this, teaching them to observe everything Jesus has commanded. Can you do that? Yes, the answer is yes. Everybody in here has taught somebody to do something. Maybe you taught a kid how to tie their shoes or you taught them their ABCs or their colors or maybe you teach baseball or soccer or football or volleyball or maybe you teach in a classroom or, or, or maybe you teach at your job at work. You're a welder and you teach other. That, that's all we're talking about. Learn how to follow Jesus. Learn how to be a disciple and then show somebody else how to do that. Teach them. Show them what it means to follow Jesus. All of us are called to this. That's why we need to be strengthened in the Lord in order to obey his commands. Now that gives you a reason to get into the Bible because you need to know, God, I, I need to be strengthened in you today so that I can obey. One of my mentors always said, there's a reason for the word and worship when you're in the war. There's a reason for the word and worship when you're in the war. When you've got a job to do and then you're in the midst of battles, you need the word of God. You need worship with other believers. You don't think I have to go to church. You think I need to get to church. You don't think I have to read my Bible. You think I need to be in the word. Be strengthened in the Lord in order to obey his instructions. Let me just read this parable real quick. The slides won't be behind me, but just listen. Jesus tells this parable. He says, what do you think? A man has, had two sons. He went to the first and said, my son, go work in the vineyard today. He answered, I don't want to, but later changed his mind and went. Then the man went to the other and said the same thing. I will, sir, he answered, but he didn't go. Which of these two did the father's will? And they all said the first. Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you didn't believe him. 
Tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him, but you, when you saw it, it didn't even change your minds then and believe him. Do you see the emphasis on obedience that Jesus places here? He even overlooks the negative attitude of the first son. The first son that says, no, I don't want to. But then he goes and does it. That's the one who did the will of the Father. It's, it's not about gathering in church on Sunday to say, yes, I believe, and yes, I will, and then not go do it. It's about the one who does it. It's about the one who obeys. So be strengthened in the Lord in order to obey his instructions. Third, the final thing I want to share from this passage is that we are to follow Christ's example of love and endurance. We're to follow Christ's example of love and endurance. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5, Paul says, May the Lord direct your hearts to God's love and Christ's endurance. Why does Paul pray that the Lord directs their hearts to God's love and Christ's endurance? Because Paul believes that having our minds on Christ's love and endurance is part of the key to doing what he just said we need to do. May our minds be on Christ's love and his endurance. 1 John 4, 16-21 reads, And we have come to know and to believe, that the love, believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. And this love is made complete with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so also we are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And we have this command from him. The one who God loves must also love his brother and sister. Remember the love that God has for us. We love because he first loved. What's the greatest motivation for obedience? What's the greatest motivation to love your brother and your sister, and to love others, it's to experience Jesus' love for yourself. That's what compels us. It's not the fear of punishment. It's not the fear of not doing it right. It's not the fear of, of, of God's wrath. It's the experience of his love. We want to love others because we have experienced his love. When you, when you get filled up on the goodness of God and when you experience his love for you, it's easy to love other people. It's what you want to do. It's motivating. That's why, that's why Paul is praying that their, their hearts be directed to God's love. Experience God's love and you will love others. Be, be filled up by him and you will want to serve others. You will want to obey. You will want to do what the Word of God commands. That's where our motivation comes from. 
So may the Lord direct your hearts to God's love. May you experience God's love this week so that you can go and love others. And he mentions Jesus' endurance. Hebrews 12 probably puts it best. Hebrews 12 speaks of of Jesus' endurance in this way, where it says, Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance in the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross. What motivated Jesus? Was it just because he was like super disciplined and because he had to obey? He was motivated by the joy that was to come. He was motivated by the reward that he would receive for his obedience. That was was the key to Jesus' endurance. And that is the key to our endurance as well. Knowing that on the other side of obedience is joy. Knowing that on the other side of serving God is eternal joy. Knowing what God has in store for us. We love and we obey And we go out as workers into the harvest. We give our lives to these things. We give our lives to following Jesus. We give our lives to making disciples of others. Because we've looked ahead. Anything you've ever done that was difficult, that you had to choose to do, you probably did because... you saw on the other end of it was something you wanted. How many of you like going to work every day? A couple, like three of us. Why do the rest of you go to work? Because they give you money, right? Because they pay, and, and with money, you can do things that you like to do, like eat, Do you see how this works? Jesus Jesus went to the cross because he saw the paycheck. The paycheck was his church. The paycheck was believers in Christ. It was you and I. And you're like, dang, man, Jesus got ripped off. (laughs) The paycheck was men and women being redeemed from, from the, wrath, uh, the wrath that they deserve. It was our salvation. It was his family being gathered for, to, to enjoy with him his glory forever. That was the joy that laid before him. That was the joy that he could see. So he went to work. And he went to the cross. And he did what needed to be done. Remember his love. Remember his endurance. So that we might be strengthened to obey his commands. That we might be strengthened to obey his instructions. And pray for faithful workers. Pray for more people to join us. And 
I heard a preacher say one time, this is one of those things that you can pray for that you can actually be the answer to your own prayer. You can say, well, I'll go work. I'll be a worker in the harvest. I'll do, I'll do whatever God needs me to do. Here I am, Lord, send me. I hope that you will pray that prayer and commit yourself to obeying him today.